We uh, are going to wrap up today with the series Unexpected Grace, and we're going to uh, move into the Gospel of Mark for next week, which should be really fun. But uh, in wrapping up today, we're talking about God moves, and so today is God moves part two, and we are going to go back to this uh, verse that we looked at in Second Thessalonians. So open up your Bibles or your phone or your tablet or or just your ears or eyes, whatever works, and we'll read it together. It says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now recognize this passage doesn't sit by itself, right? It's, it's the beginning of a chapter, so there's more thoughts that follow it. But this is uh, w- one of those nuggets that you find in Scripture that is just so well written and so well worded. And last week, we highlighted two of the phrases out of this passage. The first one was, uh, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. And the idea here is that what we do would cooperate with the Lord in such a way that the gospel could go out in, in a faster and a bigger way. And the second one is that the Lord would direct our hearts uh, to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. I thanked Isaac, but I just love that first song this morning. I just went, wow, that wording in that is incredible in terms of um, just keeping our focus on the Lord and actually the whole worship set. And I was just like, really? So thank you, kind sir. That was awesome. But um, let's make a note of this. What this means is that this means we are to be steadfast and resolute in the face of persecution, just as Jesus was in his. One of the things that's absolutely astonishing about Jesus is that he, he, he went through what he went through with incredible acumen and grace. I mean, people are stunned at how he didn't retaliate, he didn't whine, he didn't, he didn't do all the things we do as humans when things get tough. Right? He didn't play the victim card. You know, if you think about it, if anybody could have played the victim card, wouldn't it have been Jesus? Wah! Right? And he didn't do that. And so when, when this is talking to us, it's saying, look, look to Jesus how he handled his stuff and then handle your stuff the same way. Now, obviously that's not easy to do. But in that context, I'd like to point out some other insights found in these five verses. So we highlighted the need for prayer last week. And this passage begins with Paul asking for prayer. Finally, brothers, pray for us. And the question is, well, why was he asking for prayer? Well, he was asking prayer for because they were under attacks from wicked and evil men. Uh, This was not a neutral thing. This was a life or death kind of scenario. The margins were really small. It wasn't guaranteed he was going to live another day. So when he's writing this, he's asking them for prayer because he, the, it says in other places in the New Testament, he, they feared for their very lives. Paul said it was that hairy. And so you don't have to read very far in the epistles to see that there were incredible obstacles and attacks that Paul and his team went through. And in Thessalonica itself, this, where, this, uh, where this letter was written to, 
what happened is a huge riot broke out and they literally had to take Silas and Timothy and Paul and sneak them out of town in the middle of the night. And they shuffled them down the road to Berea hoping to get them out of the conflict because they knew if they left them there for another day, they'd be torn limb from limb. And so they did that. Well, the problem is Thessalonica got up the next morning, geared all up, and they all came marching down to Berea and did the exact same thing, created another riot. And they had to take Paul, literally scoot him out of town, put him on a ship and send him to Athens just so he'd be safe so that they couldn't get to him. And so Paul is pointing out that not all have faith. Newsflash, has it occurred to you that not everybody sees reality the way you see it? Right? They don't. When you, when you talk, when you, you know, I was talking with Ben yesterday, he was saying this, that, you know, we use our Christian jargon and we use it. They have no clue what we're talking about. Right? They think we're nuts. Right? And so th- that kind of stuff is going on in our world right now today. But he also points out that the scriptural counter to all this, and it's this. What does he say? The Lord is faithful. No matter what we're going, you know, some of us, things are really good, right? We're going through, and I had my birthday this week. It was a great week. Lots of fun, right? Others of us, this is not a good season. It's been really hard and really difficult. We're not sure we're going to make it. We're not even sure we're going to make it through this week. Maybe not even tomorrow, right? It's just really, really hard. And what Paul always focuses the lens back, it says, number one, the Lord is faithful, He is faithful. He is always with us, no matter what we're going through. And I want to suggest that that's as true today as it was 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this, the words that you're looking up on the screen. As we go into 2019, it also seemed wise to remind us, and, and, and myself, that our great strength and hope lies not within our plans or our strategies or ourselves, but it lies with the Lord himself. That's our great hope. That's our great anchor. Um, he is faithful. You know, the church is under many and varied attacks today, and odds are they're probably going to increase and get worse. But we stand not because we're able to stand against them, but because God will make us able to stand against them. God will add a greater grace uh, as these things come. It's a lost footnote in history. Uh, we don't even think about it much as the church, but. Uh, the early church should have never survived the early years. When you think about the all-out blitz they put against it, you think about the pressure they put on it, you think about the stigma they put on it, you think about all the stuff they jacked up against the church, the church should have never made it. It's absolutely mind-blowing that it did. And it tells you that the world can tell you that the church is dead. Don't you ever believe it. It's not dead. And it's not dead because there's anything in the church that's powerful. I mean, if you look around us, we're just people, right? But it's Jesus' church. And the church will stay alive as long as Jesus says it will stay alive. And Jesus says the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So we have to keep those things in mind as we come into 219. I say those things because I've picked up a lot of anxiety. Like we made it through 218. How are we going to make it through 2019? Right? Uh, it was hard. And it was a hard year. And uh, another year, I'm, I'm going to make it. I'm going, yes, we will. Not because there's anything in us, but because the Lord um, 
You know, how the church did survive is a living testimony of the power, wisdom, and strength of God. It was God who empowered the church and his people, and he did it by his Holy Spirit. We were singing about that this morning as well. And Paul says this, not only is God faithful, but he says in this, if you look in the passage, that he will establish us. He will establish you. This idea of establishment is a, uh, interesting. It's, it's a foundation word. In other words, when a business is begun, what do we say? Established in, right? And, and they use that to say, this is how solid this business is because we've been around for 63 years. We were established in. That's the context of it. Same context for this word. And uh, I was thinking about that. And, and Pam and I, when we were in Salzburg um, on our sabbatical trip, which you as a church so graciously gave and allowed us to go, and uh, you need to know we're still blessed and grateful that you gifted that to us, and we're still telling stories off of it, and the Lord's using it. So thank you so much. But when we were in Salzburg, uh, we came up to this one place that was kind of a castle, church, and abbey. If you've been to Europe, you understand that it, it all rolls into one. But we walked up, and in this archway was this restaurant, and over the arch of the restaurant, it said, established in 803. Think about that. 803. Where were you in 803? I got news flash for you. I wasn't even there. Okay? 803. I mean, I was sitting there looking at it, just like dumbfounded, going, Think of all the, the wars during the Middle Ages. You know, this is Luther's time, right? And all the, and all the stuff going on. And, and then World War I and then World War II. And this place had stayed open continuously since 803. That's the same sense that um, we're talking about here in God establishing. That is impressive, but it's nothing compared to what God has done and promised to do in establishing his church. Paul says God will guard them against the evil one and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, certainly prayer plays a huge factor in that. It's not just we lay around and then it's all automatic and it just happens. We have to join in together with the Lord and we have to join in prayer for that to be that way. And we were talking last Sunday uh, about prayer and... uh, I just want to put, so this is a plug. It's a shameless plug. I'm just flat out telling you. All right. Uh, so every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. upstairs in the conference room, most of you know where that is, every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. in the conference room, there's a group of us, we gather to pray for this very kind of establishing and protection of our services that we've been talking about. All right. And we pray for the church, the families. So it's this group that prays. And then the elders and the staff, when we do our elder meetings or we do our staff meetings, we usually spend about 45 minutes in prayer. I think it's one of the best things we do as those two groups uh, because so much more depends on what the Lord's going to do than on what we're able to do. And so we've just made that a huge part of it. But uh, and we pray for all kinds of stuff. We pray for... Um, the families of the week that you see on the back of the bulletin. We pray for various requests that come through. We pray for current events that have popped up on the radar screen uh, radar screen that week. Um, we pray for requests that we personally become uh, have become aware of. And, and here's the truth in the plea, uh, the honest plea. We could use some extra prayer warriors, right? Uh, Jesus says that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst. Well, we're down to the two or three. Okay, so if we drop much more, there isn't going to be any mist among us. Okay, because we will be missed. 
All right, there won't be anything there. And our group, for various life reasons and seasons, and it's nothing, it's, people have come and gone, it's been fantastic, but we've whittled down to two or three consistently, and we would like a bigger engine. Okay? I really believe God works through prayer, and I really believe numbers matter. Not so much that God can't answer the prayer of one person in a powerful way, but I believe when people unite together and pray together, something happens that otherwise can't happen. Let me use this illustration. Uh, many of you would know the name Charles Spurgeon. Uh, if you don't know that name, if you've never heard that name before, fantastic preacher in the 1800s. In the 1800s, late 1800s, he had a church of 10,000 people in England. Think about that. In the 1800s, he had a church of 10,000 people. They didn't have microphones. They didn't have sound speakers. They didn't have computers. They didn't have any of these doohickeys or things that we all have to make it all work and go. It was just his voice. and he pre- So think about what it took to do that. Right? And he was called the Prince of, of Preachers, and he became famous, the church became famous, and people would come from all over the world to see what God was doing, to see what was going on in that church. And when they would come, invariably, uh, they would introduce Spurgeon to these different groups, and he would say to them, would you like to see what makes this church great? Oh, yeah. What's the spiritual secret, right? You know, get that secret sauce going. Maybe we can bring it home with us. And so he would take them down to three levels, down into the bowels of the church where the furnace room was, and down there where the furnace room was, there was a door, and he'd open that door, and often in that room there were about 300 people praying. And Spurgeon says, you know, you've come to see what God's done and you've, you've come impressed with this building, you're impressed with me. But he says, this is the power of the church. It's these people down here praying that nobody ever sees that really make things turn. And I, that, I've ne- I read that when I was first a brand new Christian and I read it again when I first was a brand new pastor and that has never left me. Uh, if he thought that was true, I think... It's true as well. Now, why do I tell you that illustration this morning? Am I trying to guilt us? Not even close, right? So if you're feeling guilt right now, you probably come out of a Catholic background like me. Just get over it, okay? Just let it go. It's, it's all good, okay? So just let it go, right? Um, am I doing it to manipulate? Not even, again, not even close, not even in the ballpark. That's not why I'm doing it. Why am I doing it? To inspire? Yes, I'm doing it to inspire us. And um, more than just inspire for vision, to know what God wants us to do really comes out of seeking Him in prayer because we get there a lot quicker and a lot faster if we do it His way than if we do it our way. Any amens to that? Right? Okay. So, so to, get where, to get where we are today here, Northview, has, has been built on a lot of effort and sacrifice. Right? Amen? Anybody? Amen. This didn't all just happen. And it was also built on a tremendous amount of prayer. There's lots of prayer that went into how we got to this, this point. And to go where we need to go will not require, my a suggestion to us as a group is that it will not require less of this, but it will rather require more of it. In other words, we're going to need to do the same thing that we did to get to here that we're going to need to do to get to there. Right? That's kind of Wisconsinese. You can interpret that. All right. And here's why I'm emphasizing a renewed emphasis on prayer for 2019. It's not that we have to do something different. Uh, this is where I think pastors make a huge mistake. A lot of times they jack you all up and go, and we just got to get, the, like we've never done it. No, we, you've been a very, very faithful group. 
You've been a very sacrificially generous group. You have been a great praying group. We have done a lot of prayer. This whole building is rimmed with prayers all in these walls when this went up. They're all over the place. We've got pictures of them. I got a little book for you. And uh, one of these I told Margaret, we just got to make a book for everybody, hand it out, and we'll just go through the prayers that were written. It's awesome and awe inspiring. But we have to do the same thing. In other words, what got us here is what we got to keep doing to get us there. Does that make sense? Right? And so what I'm trying to do is, uh, is not so much emphasize the need for more prayer as much as marshal a sense for the immediacy of the need for prayer. This is the time for us to pray. This is our 20th anniversary. This is the beginning of 2019. We have the whole year ahead of us. Do we, any of us in here, can any of us predict what's going to happen this year? If you look back at 2018, could you have predicted how that year went? Could you have predicted all the good things that happened and all the hard things that have happened? No, right? Likewise, we can't do it for 2019 either. But this is our anniversary year. So if we're going to do some things, we ought to pray about it to seek God for what are the things that we're supposed to do. So we need an immediacy. We had that sense of immediacy when we were first planted. Right? All of you who were part of the... When Norfolk was planted, there was an immediacy need for prayer. We had that sense of immediacy when we first moved in this building. All kinds of prayer took place uh, in this building, especially when we signed the lease and then realized we couldn't move in. Remember how we prayed? Remember that? Yeah, there was a lot of immediacy at that point. Um, And as God pointed out our directions and steps of faith, we prayed and then we saw God answer in amazing ways. And we like those answers. And I'm suggesting if we like those answers, if we pray that way again, we will like the answers he gives on this round as well. So uh, prayer has to do not only with what's the next step. That's important. In other words, what are we supposed to do? Right? Like college gang, right? That's what's, what am I supposed to do? High school gang, right? That's a big question. Well, they're all asking the same questions. They're just acting more mature about it. Okay? They, they act like they know the answer. They don't. Okay? Any more than you do. But they know how you feel because they were once there. So, Right? Adults. So, just as, for example, in a season, there are seasons in a person's life, right? You go through different seasons of life. So there are seasons in a church's life. This is a big season for us. At the end of this month starts our 20th 20th year anniversary. That's a big moment. Do you know a lot of churches don't make that? That there are a ton of church plants that are on the ash heap that never made it. There are dozens of church planters in Mill Creek that at one time had planted a church. And it, it, didn't, it didn't make it. So we are really in a, a unique place. And so the question is, what's the next step? And maybe just as importantly, what's the timing of the next step? Right? You can have the right idea, but if you have the timing wrong, it, it doesn't go well. If you give uh, your wife a birthday card the day after her birthday, how well does that go? You had the card, you had the right idea, what was wrong? Timing was a little off, right? And, and that we have to hit both things, not just the what, but the when. Once we get the what and the when, then we work on the how, right? So, 
what could we do? The question I was thinking through uh, for a long time now, what could we do that could step us forward and, as this passage talks about, speed along the Word of God? That it would give opportunity for the Word of God to spread faster. And, and let me give you this morning what's on my heart. All right? So this is straight up, Steve. I'm going to just tell you what I think. And here's where we're going for 2019. So last week when I was talking about next steps and possibilities, remember I was talking about different things and plants and stuff. And someone, one of us emailed, and uh, I won't expose him, but well, a good friend emailed and said, Hey, Steve, uh, wouldn't it be more honoring um, to pay off the loan before we think of next steps? And I replied, Well, that's exactly where I'm going to go with this coming week's message. So you anticipated, out-anticipated me. So that's exactly what I want to present to us this morning. For those of you who are new and don't know what I'm talking about, uh, we have a Move the Mountain campaign. A Move the Mountain campaign was the loan that we used to build everything you see here. This was empty warehouse. There was nothing here. There was no upstairs. There was no carpet. There was no stage. There was no lights. There was no sound. There was nothing. And we put that all together in what was called Move the Mountain and that's what we use to build everything on the inside of the building that you see. Uh, the loan originally was $1.5 million. And so if we look at the uh, Move the Mountain Loan, back in July of 2014, some of you will remember this, we said, hey, what if we jumpstart that a little bit? What if, what if we just, as the Lord provides, it's not a pull you up by the bootstraps thing, but if the Lord gave you some extra and you saw fit, you'd give some of that towards the, the, the loan campaign. And uh, we've actually responded that uh, really well. As of today, that loan amount is 396700 That's in the last four years, we paid off $500,000 on that loan. Is that impressive or what? You should thank somebody this morning. Thank yourselves. Thank the Lord. Somebody, give the Lord a hand. I mean, that's incredible. You guys are sitting there like, yeah, that's what Northview does, so what? Big deal. When I tell this to other pastors, their jaw drops. They're like, what? They, they don't know anything like this. You, you need to know that the reputation outside these walls is far greater than the reputation in the walls because people are like, how did they do that stuff? Right? So we're sitting at 396. Now, that's pretty incredible. And truth be told, if we just left that at that and just paid it off at the rate it's going, it, we would do fine and it's paid off in four and a half years. But there's some problems with the timing of that. Okay? And we'll talk about that in just a second. So I had this other thought. I thought, why not jumpstart the whole process and let's just get ahead of the curve. Let's, let's move up front of it. So here's what I'm looking at, and this is what I want to present to you this morning as your pastor, right? This is as your pastor. I want you to think about this with me. The actual 20-year celebration uh, that will be this coming October. So we're going to celebrate the 20-year anniversary in October. Does that make sense? So you know that. So if you take this loan and say, where will we be in October? The actual number in October, in 10 months, it'll be paid down to this, 337. So it's dropping, right, even as we're going along. So here's what I ran before the elders at our, our fall elders retreat. And with their approval, I'd now like to run it in front of you. And I have a good slide this week because, thank you, Jesus, Margaret is back. 
So that's great, right? So we've been talking about how to speed along the Word of God or how to speed along the Gospel. And we're talking about how could we set ourselves up in a position to be proactive and catch that when the wave comes. So uh, as I mentioned, that loan would be 337. And uh, so 2019, uh, we're under 400,000. It would be by 337. And what I'm suggesting is that we do in October a capital campaign, a two-year capital campaign. And what that would do is it would cut the time of the loan from four and a half years down to two years. All right? So in two years from October, that loan would be completely gone, maybe even faster than that. If the loan is paid off, it frees up 7700 a month that can be used for other ministries or can be used for a war chest to build up funds for a couple other steps that might be possibilities for us to do. And the question is, what would be those three possibilities? Well, let me throw out, there's probably more, but I want to throw out these three that we need to be proactive on. Number one is buy our building. Uh, we want to be, and I, and I would uh, uh, term our church a legacy church. And what's a legacy church? A legacy church is one that doesn't just live for itself and its needs, but positions itself to meet the needs of several generations. Uh, you saw this morning on the announcement, wasn't that cool, with Andy and Axie and, and Zeb and Aubrey and looking at John and Mallory and all these young couples. That, well, God has really gifted us with some young people who are now becoming young couples. That's really fantastic. And God has also graciously gifted us with a number of young couples that are quickly turning into young families. That's not an announcement, just, okay. But they are, okay? And here's the point. We'd like, to have, we'd like them to have the same run of faith in a family of believers where it's healthy and just like we had the chance to make that run. And that's what a legacy church does. Um, we want them to be able to have a greater impact for the kingdom than we were even able to do. And one of the ways to do that is, hey, you don't have to put all this effort into infrastructure. The infrastructure is already provided. Now run for the kingdom. Run for the kingdom. Run hard. Because you're not shackled with some of the things that we were in our generation. So now don't just use it for yourself. Now run hard for the kingdom. You are freed up. Take the baton pass. Do more than we were able to do. Because there's a lot of things we wanted to do that we couldn't get to because we had to build this. In other words, we want to hand them a good baton pass for the kingdom. And we want to give them a leg up on their families, just like we were given. Total truth, honesty here, actual purchase of the building would be difficult and hard and probably stretch us, if not as much, maybe more than what it took for us to originally get in the building. But it would give us a lasting asset for several generations, not just this next one. And that's worth thinking about. Let's talk church plant for a second. Steve, would you get off this church plant thing? Okay. Oh, I went by, sorry. Get off this. No, I won't. Okay. Here's why. When, when I talk to a lot of you, one of the things I hear all the time is, especially when new people come, oh, we love the size of your church. 
We just love it. It's not so big. It's not 6,000 people and we're lost and we can't even find the parking lot and get into the church. You know, we don't know who we are in the church. We love it. We, we have our friends and we can talk to people and we see people and we can hang out with people and uh, this is fantastic. And, and because it's fantastic, other people will come. All right? And th- there's the problem. If enough people start to come, we're going to have to do one of two things. We either have to A, expand our footprint here, or B, plant another church that replicates what we're doing here. If we want to stay the same size, then we've got to do turnover and plant. Either way is good. But the idea here is it's way better to be proactive than reactive. To sit here, play the lawn, and then four and a half years from now go, well, now what do we do? Well, and, and both of these reasons pinch into the third one, and that's, oh, I keep doing that, sorry. Don't mean to do that to us. I keep thinking it's advancing. Transition, all right? I had my birthday this week. I turned 63. Woohoo! Hi, Dan. We're the same age. Yeah, some of you are on the trail with me. Here we go. Welcome to this decade. But here's the point. Now, I'm not going anywhere soon. Matt, obviously, Matt's a freshman in high school, right? So we're okay, but... We need to do some thinking about how to transition. We are, as a church and as a board, pretty firmly convinced of the transition model. And that model is someone would come on staff, earns trust, eases into the role, and it becomes a, a baton pass, right? That is opposed to the, hey, I just hit whenever I want to step down. Church, I'm done. I'm stepping down. What? You're gone? You can clap. Yeah, he's out of here finally. We suffered under him enough. And, and who's the next guy we've got to suffer under? Well, then you've got you've to do a, write a whole committee and you've got a search committee and you do that. And then you have some interim guy who you like but you don't really like because he's not really here even though he's here because you know he's just filling in. And then the new guy has to come and he gets here and he comes in after that and the, the person starts all cold and right out of the gate he's supposed to be awesome. And we all say what? Oh, we like him a lot. He's really cool. But the truth is we don't even know if we can trust him. And that, that can go really clunk bad. And so we think the transition model would be really good because that's a really tough adjustment for both the church and the pastor. Right? I don't know if you've ever watched football. What happens to the coach who replaces a long-term legendary coach? He usually gets chewed up as fodder, right? That happens in the pastor as well. So the question is, how do you free up enough salary to bring another pastor on who would eventually take the lead role? Well, this is one of the ways we could do it. Uh, I just want to suggest that transition is a lot easier than shock therapy. Okay? Some of you have been through shock therapy and you know what I'm talking about. It, it, it's, a, it's a tough deal. So in two years, I'll be 65. Now, that doesn't mean I'll be dead. But it does mean we better start thinking about it really quick right so we need to get proactive if we knock this out in two years we'll be in the place where we can think about that and actually do that so that's uh, part of the thinking behind that and and i just want to say this too failure to do so could be disastrous um some of this uh, some of us here this morning have experienced what i'm talking about uh there's a local church i, I won't name it but great church godly church biblical church great pastor. He loved the Lord. He loved the word. He loved his people and they loved him. And he, he had done a fantastic job. And out of the blue, uh, he came down with cancer and he died within six months. 
It was literally walking to the doctors and six months later you're dead. Okay? That church just went swing, just went upside down and was blown apart. And, and they did the whole thing and they got the search council together and they got a, brought a guy in who sounded conservative, but he wasn't conservative. And then the whole thing went upside and that church is no longer a church today. Okay? Now, by the grace of God and the, and the goodness of God, God has redeemed that site. But the church itself is gone. Okay? I do not want that to happen here. Okay? I have invested most of the best years of my life here. I want this to go another. There's, it should be bigger and better. Okay? There, there's guys who can lead better than I can lead. And we need to find out who that is and the timing of it so that we can put that in place and it's a handoff, not this bam thing. That's my thing. Okay, so here's the idea. In a nutshell, the idea is this. We're going to do a two-year capital campaign to knock out the loan. That capital campaign is going to run, start in October. We will run our own campaign. All right? Um, my thinking on this is this is either in us or it isn't. Right? And I don't want to hire some outside source for $34,000, dollars 30 or 40000 to tell me whether it's in us or not. I really don't care. What I want to do is take that thirty, put it against the loan, and knock the loan out. All right? So this means it'll be a lot of hard work. Shannon will be really tired. Too bad he's young. He'll get over it. All right? And, and we'll, we're going to work it together. Um, we'll run the campaign concurrent with our 20-year celebration in October. In October, we're going to do a big celebration. We're going to treat it just like the grand opening. Remember when we did the grand opening? We're just going to open it up, balloons, people come, bring people back. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have fun. We're going to talk, tell stories about what God's going to done, and we're going to launch into the next 20 years. Here's the other point. Steve Doton brought this up, and it's a really good one. He says, Steve, do you realize you only have to raise half the money to pay off the loan? I hadn't thought about that. I was thinking about paying off the whole loan. He said, no. If you do a two-year campaign, half of the loan is paid off in that two years already. So all you have to do is raise half of that, and it's done. And I went, huh? I like finance people sometimes. Okay, (laughs) That's really cool. They come up with great stuff. Also, this is over and above giving. This is not our tithe to the church or the budget. This is over and above. So this would be sacrificial. This would be how are we going to do this? This would be praying with families together again. And, and um, it will require that kind of prayer. And I just want you to know, Pam and I are in on this deal. Okay? I mean, whole hog. We are in on it. Let's go. I do not want to sit around the next four years twiddling my thumbs like where are we supposed to go? Okay? Uh, that just sounds exceedingly boring to me. And I, I want to get on it. I want to move forward. I want to set us up. I want to get more. I want to see the Lord work. So that's where I am in the whole thing. All right, here's the numbers. If you take the numbers with what I've been telling you, uh, half, if you take half of the loan of where it'll be in October, you cut that in half, it's 168500 So it's 168000 and some change. If you take that and divide that by 155, which is roughly the number of families and gifting units that we have here at Northview. If you do that with that number, it comes out to 1087 a year. If you take that 1087 a year and you divide it by 12 months, it comes out to about 91 bucks a month. Now, I think that's a big number. I don't know about you. I don't have 91 bucks just floating around. Oh, yeah, here you go. You know, that's like that. How to come up with another 91 bucks? Hmm. Might have to pray about that, right? Pam and I will have to pray about that. 
But it's in that that we see God work. It's in that we see God provide. It's in that that God stretches our faith. And here's another thing. It's in it that we own it. Okay? Some of you are sitting on the sidelines not giving anything. You wonder why you don't connect to Northview. You don't connect to what you don't give to. Okay? If you give to it, you own it. It's yours. You don't talk about that church over there. You say, that's my church. That's my church. Because you're involved with it. So... Here's the process, what we're going to go through. We're going to take the next three weeks to be in prayer about this. I want you to pray. You can talk as a family. You can pray. You can talk to each other. You can talk to me. You can talk to Shannon. You can talk to elders. By the way, in the, um, the elders, in the next three weeks, the elders will be out in the lobby. They will be out there. Uh, we'll put neon signs on them or something so you know who they are. Okay, But they'll be out there, and they'll be out there to one uh, answer the questions about the budget for next year and also about this capital campaign. Uh, what we do as a church family, uh, not to, so you're not frightened away from the business meeting, we ask all the questions out in the lobby three weeks before the meeting. In the annual business meeting, we just vote on it. It takes us about five minutes. We knock it out and then we have dessert. All right? So we found that to work really well. So if you've got questions, you want to know, you're good out there, they'll be out there uh, talking next week. And then at the annual meeting, we'll just take an advisory vote. We just hand slips of paper. If you're a member, yay, nay, we'll collect it, and we'll go from there. If it's positive, we'll move forward. If it's not, we'll just stay with what we're doing. We'll figure it out what the Lord wants next. But I want to move forward. Do you hear me? I want to move forward. Okay? So I just want you to know, in case you're wondering and you don't know where I am, I want to move forward. I want to knock that sucker out. Okay? And I'm going to pray that way that we do that. So that seems like a good point to ask for communion. All right? So guys, would you begin to distribute communion? And uh, as they're doing that, could we come back to this passage that we were looking at this morning? It says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. I want to point out something here. Notice Paul is not asking that things would turn out good for him. He didn't say, please pray that I would uh, not go through difficult things or that I'd be protected. What did he say? Pray that the word of God would move ahead. Why? Because Paul himself had one time been the obstacle to the gospel. He had tried to stop the gospel. He had tried to quash it. And he realized what a horrendous error he had made. And so now he's asking, pray that the gospel would speed out ahead and get out in front of him. And he also said, thank you, Bob. He also said this, that it would be honored. You know, the the word of God is not really honored in our land anymore. Just ask yourself, how many people are in church this morning and how many people went to football games this weekend or watched football games this weekend or participated in football games this weekend? Do you hear the word of the Lord honored very much in our culture anymore? hardly at all. And when it does, it's almost startling. Like, can they really say that? Right? It's like, whoa, we've gotten to the point where uh, the word of God has been greatly dishonored in our culture. So Paul's asking for prayer that it would not only move forward, but it would be honored. I think it's a great prayer. And that we would be delivered from wicked and evil men. We talked about that. For not all have faith, for the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. It was hard in Paul's day. Satan threw attacks at them, and it's hard in our day, and Satan throws attacks at us. 
Sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot and we call it an attack when really we're just being dumb. But other times it really is an attack. And Satan really does set it up. And Paul says this, We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. For some of us, we've, we've walked with the Lord for a long time. And we've kind of got the idea, okay, I can, I can quit, step back and relax now. It's the younger people's turn, right? No. Do you know anywhere in the Bible where it says, hey, you only have to walk three quarters of the walk, then you're done, hand off the baton, and you can relax? Any verse like that. What does it say? To him who overcomes, to him who's steadfast, to him who finishes. So we have to finish the race, not quit at the three-quarter point. That's what Paul's saying. I have confidence that you'll do that. By the way, I want you to know I have confidence in you that you'll do that. Okay? I have lots of fun of bragging on you as a church. Okay? Other guys wish they had a church like mine. Because I tell them that my people actually listen to me. They actually do stuff. And they're like, wow, that's trippy. Okay? <laughs> but here's the point. May the Lord direct our hearts to the love of God. And the last phrase is critical. To the steadfastness of Christ. Where do we see the, the steadfastness of Christ mirrored the clearest? Well, we see it mirrored the clearest in the cross. Right? cross wasn't fair. As I said, if anybody could have pulled the victim card, wouldn't it have been Jesus? And you don't hear him whine. You don't hear him retaliate. You don't hear him curse. You don't hear him throw out vengeance. You don't hear him do all the things we do, right? When we're under pressure and we feel like we're going to crack. The Bible says, hey, when you're thinking about going into 2019, when you're thinking about these things, if, if I set these things out before you, Anchor on the steadfastness of Christ. You're not great because you're a church. You're great because you're Jesus' church. And the church is great because of Jesus. And what was Jesus? Incredibly steadfast. And we know that this represents what? His body. I know how you do under physical pain. I don't do that well. Right? I want to act like I'm tough, but really I'm not. I'm a wimp. Right? Jesus had incredible composure. That's what astounds people when you read the gospel accounts. We'll go through that in Mark here real quick, so it'll be great, but incredible composure. And what did he say? Eat this in memory of me, right? When we eat that in memory of him, what are we remembering? We're remembering how he stood. We're remembering his steadfastness, remembering what it cost him. And saying, if he did that for me, I'm willing to do that for him. I'm willing to be steadfast, whatever that looks like in my life. The second one that he holds up was the cup. Now, we know that's a symbol of blood, which he said was shed for our sins, which means we can actually be given. Like we're, we're talking, uh, you know, if you did well in 218, we can do well in 219. Some of you are going, man, I botched 218. I mean, seriously, if you were to really know and look at my heart, I, I punted 218 right out the window. I did not track well with the Lord at all. Well, that's what's great about Jesus. He does do-overs. Hey? He does do-overs. You can come to him and say, I am so sorry. I listened to Steve this morning. I realized, man, I wasted a ton of 2018. Didn't hardly do squat for you. 
I'm so sorry. Can we reboot? Could you forgive me? Could we start over in 219? Yeah. That's what's fantastic about God. That's what's fantastic about Jesus. There's do-overs because he's a forgiving God. And then he says about this, that it's the cup, it's the wine. He said, and I will not drink of this again until what? I come back. I return. Right? Here's the point. He's coming back. Whether the rest of our culture thinks about it, whether they honor him or not, whether they think he's an issue or not, really doesn't mean a hill of beans because he's coming back. And we're reminded at communion, look at Jesus's trials and temptations because they're temporary, just like ours are. Our trials and tri- tribulations are temporary. They're not permanent. And he says this, you know how I know they're not permanent? Because he says, I'm going to come back for you. I have a place for you. He says, drink this in memory of me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we've got a great song that focuses these thoughts and ends it. But would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, when we think about this, um, human ego is an amazing thing, Lord, and ours gets in the way all the time. And, and we wrestle and struggle with stuff. And, and Lord, a lot of it is our eyes just get off of you. Or we willingly turn away because we know we want something more than you. And as we're thinking about this, as we're thinking about being sacrificial right here in the beginning of 2019, of thinking about October and 10 months and praying and asking for you to work among us in a way that we could knock that loan out. There can be some hiccups with that. And Lord, I just want to pray for us as we do this that you would make very clearly, if this is your idea, that you would validate it and vindicate it, that you would uh, put the onus on it and we would know it comes from you and not from me. And if it's not, you'd do the same thing. And just go, oh, that was Steve's idea, but that wasn't my idea and you're, we're off the hook. Either way is fine with me. I just want to know. And I want us to pray for three weeks so that we know. And we can say confidently, we sought you for it. We sought you for it. And so we give that to your great hope and pray this in your name. Amen.